Hello and welcome to Cult Classic Society, the podcast where I, Bobby Davies, and my pal Tim Martini take you through the movies, TV shows, games, books, comic books. You like it, we love it, we're going to go through it today. But first, Tim, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, Bobby. It's been uh, two weeks since Hurt came out and it's gone really well. It's going to do it again in case um, it's gone really poorly, Bobby. No, no one's been listening to it, and I just don't know what to do. And, and of course, it's been going so well, Bobby. Literally been signed by Sony Music now. And we'll use whichever one uh, makes the cut. Yeah, yeah whatever, whatever happens uh, in two weeks, we'll see. We're not we're not recording this three days before. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I had a listener tell me they loved uh, the This Country episode of the podcast. Oh, okay. But they didn't like This Country, and I find that unacceptable. <laughs> and if you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> well, at least he was happy. Well, no. at least they were happy to hear our perspective. This time round, we're going to talk about Bored to Death. American, uh, did you call it a sitcom? It's kind of a sitcom, isn't it? No, I think it's just more of just a, com- it's a comedy drama from what I was interpreting from it. Comedy drama about a author who breaks up with his girlfriend and decides he wants to become a private detective and it stars Jason Schwartzman Ted Danson and Zach Galifianakis I mean that that lineup right there that, that should have drawn tr- you in straight that's away that's a right? trio yeah man so a couple of little facts for Bored to Death for you did you like the opening theme oh, I loved it that was recorded by Jason Schwartzman's band they're called Coconut Record and they wrote oh, and yeah. recorded the theme uh, the lead character, Jonathan Ames, is named after the guy who wrote the show yep. and produced the show, Jonathan Ames. Ames himself. There isn't a lot out there on it. I've tried to like YouTube interviews and stuff. There isn't a lot on IMDb about it. But Jonathan Ames, the creator of the show, not the character, he says the show's about a young writer who's read too many detective novels, and that's kind of how he bookends it. Quite simple. Quite a simple perspective. He also compares it to Don Quixote who thought he was a knight after reading about chivalry. So, you know, <laughs> that's his perspective on it. Straight from the beginning, what did you... Did you know anything about Bored to Death? Have you seen anything about I, it? I knew nothing about it. Um, what also took me by surprise is when you told me about the show at the end of the John Wick after, you did, did mention it was Ted Danson, so that caught me by surprise. Cause... Well, Ted Danson is always best as a surprise. I've always found that. Yes, and well, he's a he's an amazing actor, as, and we will go into why he's amazing in this show. But He is unbelievable, right? Yeah, I knew nothing about um, Jonathan Ames as well, so it was really interesting to actually see this like completely fresh work. Yeah, it's, it's it was an interesting... I remember when I first watched it, a friend had recommended it to me, the back... I think only the first and second series were out then, so before the third series came out, I started watching it. I'd never heard... In fact, it wasn't until after the third series had come out that I realised the writer had named the character after himself. I just didn't clock it. You know, it's, it's, it's in the credits, and I, I look at it and go, oh, that was stupid not to have spotted that. <laughs> but at the, the time, anyway, it was a bit of an unknown. I think he's doing, done a lot more now, but still a, bit, a lot of it isn't massive in pop culture. No, absolutely. And we'll go to that um, later. First episode I asked you to watch was the first episode. Episode one, series one, Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Do you want to take us away? Do you want to start? We can, because it opens up with Jonathan's girlfriend moving out. Yes. Because he drinks a lot of white wine. Was it white wine? Yeah, he drinks too much white wine, wine and, and smokes, smokes too, too much, much weed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the, the first series, though, there's two things I, I, I've got notes for. Why the fuck is there fucking adverts on a service I pay for? Because <laughs> I watch this on now. Oh, yes. <laughs> two, 
Don't you love the animation for the intro? Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's cool, right? Really well done. Really like pencil drawing, line drawing. Yeah, and it uses the words to become like the character, like the, the words of the novel blend to become the, yeah, um, animation. the yeah. animation. Yeah, it's really it's so cool. Good. And then straight off with the establishing shot is the New York brownstone apartment. Those things, they're like renowned and they're really expensive. That you, you mainly find them on Manhattan. Yeah. I know he lives in Brooklyn, so there must be some out in Brooklyn. But how are they affording this? She must do well. But he does stay in the apartment. <laughs> I, I know. Because that's the thing about New York apartments, right? They're like notoriously expensive. Oh, yeah. Worse than London, and London's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, TikTok showed me like one-bedroom apartments in New York for like 20, like not to, two grand a month. I'm like, no thanks. Yeah, the same as like zone one and two here, I think. Yeah. yeah silliness. Yeah, as you said, he uh, the, the scene starts with Jonathan's girlfriend breaking up with him and actually helping the removal men yeah. load her stuff. And there's a great line almost at the beginning when Jonathan's Jewish and he asks the Jewish removal men. Yeah. He says, oh, it's not a word work you typically see Jewish people do. And the, the removal man is like, are you one of those New York self-hating Jews? He goes, yes, yes, I am. That's it. I wrote straight into Jew jokes. <laughs> yeah, straight away. So my favourite bit is when he's trying to justify smoking pot to his now ex-girlfriend, saying, it helps with cancer. And she goes, you don't have cancer. <laughs> his response is, not yet. <laughs> he's so he's so oblivious all the time, which is why he's the worst person to become a private detective. Exactly. He he can barely read the room he's in, and yet he's looking... He, he starts... You'll find out soon that he wants to do a job that requires being observant and all aware. Yeah. <laughs> Just doesn't make sense. There was a little thing here that I noticed. Flashback to our John Wick episode. Did you notice how he was wearing his watch? Yeah, the inside. Yeah, he wore it on the inside, like John Wick. He's uh, obviously been reading those detective novels. Yeah, so he doesn't shine. He doesn't reflect the sunlight. Yeah. So yeah, after his girlfriend moves out, Jonathan puts up an ad on Craigslist, which is a blast from the past. Does it still even exist? I should have looked that up. I think it does. Yeah. Oh god, I imagine it's more filled with perverts than it was before. <laughs> and it already was from the start. Yeah, exactly. He puts up an advert. Offering his services as a private detective, saying his rates are reasonable, he's cheap, and his phone goes off straight away. Yeah. Like he pressed send, and then like four seconds later, the phone goes. That is what you expect, isn't it? Like, say you put something on eBay or you put out a help wanted ad, you expect a response like that. For most of the time, it takes you don't. a couple of days. And actually, he doesn't get a response like that because it's not someone, he thinks it's someone for his service. It's actually not, it's his best friend, it's Ray. Yeah. Yeah. And who's played by Zach Galifianakis? And who he basically plays like the same character in everything I find, but he does it so well. I feel like he, I think he's moodier in this than most. He's like the moody version of that character. Yeah, he's like because in a lot of them he's quite upbeat, but this one he's really moody. Yeah. Jonathan goes to meet Ray at a coffee shop, and Ray wants to talk about his relationship and how sexless it is at the minute. Yeah, because he's with um, well, not she's not single mom because she's with him, but yeah, with Leah, bit, yeah, with Leah who has who has two kids and doesn't find time for him, and so he decided to leave in the middle of the night. <laughs> Which we uh, see Leah come down the road in a minute, describing, what did she say? Don't treat me like a one-night stand. And yeah. he says, to be a one-night stand, you have to have sex. Wow. But also, he gives um, Jonathan such horrible advice, which is, you got to rebound fast. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of these two are equipped for what they're doing. He should not be giving advice, and no. Jonathan should not be a private detective. I think this was the moment when I realised that because he kept calling Jonathan, I was like, Jonathan, the writer's called Jonathan names. Oh, self-insert. Yeah, yeah, he's there. This this person is me. Yeah. Apparently, 
it's very minimally autobiographical. Yeah. So there's incidences of stuff that's happened in his life, and he kind of builds the story around them. Yeah, I, I, I hope that the real Jonathan Ames didn't attempt to be a private detective. I don't think so. No, I don't. Or maybe, maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he just hasn't spoken about it. <laughs> there's a really great line when Jonathan and Ray are talking. They're complaining about the girlfriend and ex-girlfriend, and Ray says. They're with us because we're artists, and then reality hits. Because yeah. <laughs> the reality of being an artist is you most likely are going to make much Yeah, money. you are broke. <laughs> I wrote about him doing private sector stuff. It's either because he's bored, or he needs inspiration for his next book. Because it doesn't really make it clear, because he just does it. So through most of the first series, it turns out that he's trying to write a book about the Karma Sutra. Which is what he's promised his agency that he, you know, that represents yeah. him. He ends up not writing it and having to give the money all back. So you'd think that was his logic. No, yeah. he's just bored. He he's just he loves detective novels. Yeah. And decides to be a private detective. Why he didn't think about writing a detective novel before? Yeah. Is is madness. But we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. After Ray leaves chasing after Leah and Jonathan goes back home, he does get a phone call. Yes. With someone looking for a private detective. And it turns out to be a young lady whose sister has gone missing. What's quite funny is he's he's already forgotten about the ad because he answers the phone and goes, what ad? What are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah, most of my stuff's through word of mouth. <laughs> I think it's also sometimes that thing you do something, like you think, yeah, it's a big thing, but then, like, it just immediately goes to the back of your mind because you're just distracted by other things. Well, yeah, he's just gone out with his friend to talk about his broken down relationship and his friend's breaking down relationship. Yeah. It's probably not the first thing on his mind. He comes in and drinks white wine straight away. Yeah, still addicted to it. Yeah, clearly. He goes to meet the young lady uh, to find out her sister. And the first thing she says is, my sister's going out with someone who's quite old, like 30, I think. And I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, man. (laughs) (laughs) And he's British as well. And the response to that was gross. That's very accurate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we are pretty gross. We are pretty gross. One thing I did notice is, I think that might be the first iPhone she's using. But, the picture on it's really detailed. That's, that's a real good picture. And then the printout they get from the phone is ridiculously good. Yeah. The first iPhone camera was a bit rubbish. Like, now you could print out a high-quality fucking A1. Yeah. It'd be fine, but... Back then, no, you'd get like a tiny, tiny... It was like a passport size. Yeah, photo. it wouldn't have been that good. One thing I do like is when Jonathan sees the, the girl off... I should have written her name down. I can't remember it. But he closes the cab door. There's the a really nice shot. The camera's on the cab door. Yeah. And, yeah, he tracks her into the... Yep, yeah, I wrote that down. Yeah, it's a really cool shot, right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a simple idea. Mount the camera to the door, close the door, and watch it swing and see her in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. It's clever. so clever. I don't know who, who uh, come up with that, but they they deserve a little pat on the back. <laughs> we so, noticed it, so it's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, some film nerds noticed it. <laughs> what a surprise. This is where we meet the man, Ted Danson. Love, love him. George, just love him George so much is this. George is the best character in Bored to Death. Yeah, George is at this point in the story. He is the head of a magazine that Jonathan freelances for on occasion. Yeah, he's also a pothead, massive, pothead. <laughs> massive pothead, and he really associates with Jonathan. And later on in the series, we'll, we'll probably come to it a bit in one of the later episodes, but he sees Jonathan as a bit of a son. Yeah. And Jonathan sees him as a father figure. Yeah. But their relationship, because it's it seems to be most it start it seems to start around the fact that they're both potheads and then develops from there. He's going to a party to review I think it's the the catering. To yeah. Review yeah. the food. 
and George immediately asks Jonathan if he has any pot, and they go smoke pot in the bathroom like teenagers. Yeah. And he blames Jonathan for getting him re-addicted to pot. <laughs> and also, George gets annoyed at Jonathan because the weed's in George's old Viagra bottle. It was a tip that it was given, like, keep weed in a medicine bottle. Yeah. Because it helps with the smell and, uh, and other things. But he's using George's Viagra bottle, so George is like, if they find out I'm using Viagra, it'll be the end of me. <laughs> you remember why he's like 65? Exactly. Or he is. Yeah. Although, it's expected at that yeah. age. Although he is he's quite a cool customer, so, you know, I see where he's coming from. After the party, Jonathan leaves, and he starts to go find the sister and the English guy. Yeah, Lisa and Zach. Lisa and Zach, thank you. There's a few things I noted. Using a notebook instead of a phone, really 2009. And then when he gets to the bar where Zach works and he asks for him, he's trying to be cool and drink whiskey, but he can't drink it. <laughs> also, whiskey, no ice. Yuck. Yuck. Yeah, yeah. And a dash of water in there or something. <laughs> Let's smooth that out. The next bit is really cool. I like... They do like, always do a spin on noir imagery in this. Yeah. So Jonathan's standing in the rain smoking a cigarette. And then you zooms in, and in a noir film, they all look cool, like the slick back wet hair, and he just looks a mess. <laughs> but I love it. It's he, There's clearly an affinity for the noir, and trying to make that... They pay homage to it. They but pay they homage also, to it, yeah. But, but they also like, make fun of it as well. Yeah, in a comic way. Yeah. I think oh, they should have done a movie, three series in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a bigger budget. They could have done some real fun noir stuff with that. Oh, definitely. Especially he's wearing the long coat as well, standing in the street, like, smoking. <laughs> so there's a bit where um, he... Like ask the receptionist in the hotel, like, does anyone come here? And he, he just refuses to give him any, any yeah. information. He just says, fuck off, does he? Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, fine, I'm going to sit here and wait. And he sits, and he just ignores it. He doesn't see anyone because he falls asleep. Uh, how we get to the hotel is the guy in the bar, he slips the guy in the bar at 20, and the guy tells him Zach's staying at this hotel. Yeah. So he goes to the hotel, and the guy on the desk is no help whatsoever. He actually charges Jonathan an hour rate for the room to just use the chair in the lobby to wait and then Jonathan falls asleep (laughs) and then he has to ask and pay him more money to find out that Zach's actually gone out and come back in yeah and then more money to find out what room room he's in (laughs) Jonathan now knowing what room he's in goes and knocks on the door I actually I expected to see him try and kick it down oh yeah that little wee just like throwing himself in now he's trying to do I think the thing of private detectives is they're not all like Badasses with guns, are they? They're supposed to be slick. Yeah. Like that, you would knock on the door and like be like try to talk your way in and stuff. And I think that is the kind of thing he's going for, even though he's a bumbling idiot. Exactly. <laughs> Eventually, the British guy Zach lets him in, and Zach is dancing around the room in his underwear with Lisa tied to the bed. Yeah. And what? using a massive lighter while smoking crystal meth. To, yeah. To to smoke his crystal meth. <laughs> Such a scene. And doesn't he uh, point the lighter at Jonathan like a weapon? It's yeah. like one of those long stove lighters. And he's like, stay back. <laughs> like, what are you going to do with that? And then Jonathan, uh, in a panic, locks himself in the bathroom. And then George starts calling him. And then George calls him and he's like, he has to answer because he, he, he never, never ignores George. Yeah. Because George obviously will hire him on occasion and pay his bills, essentially. And the British, uh, Zach gets really upset asking who he's talking to. Just have like a nice conversation through the, through the door. Yeah. One thing I did notice here, Jonathan is so willing to tell everyone that he's not licensed as a private yeah. detective. So he's one of the things, he's like, I'm not licensed. He's like, stop telling everyone. Exactly. <laughs> All right, tell you know, anyone in authority, you can tell them, but don't tell the criminal. You're playing your hand there. Yeah. I like that 
in the conversation, he's just Zach is just casually lighting the meth pipe. I know. <laughs> yeah, having to go on that. I think yeah. my favorite thing is like we're role playing Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she seems to be really into it. So there's a funny fact about Lisa. So she is played by Fiona Doroth, who is the daughter of Brad Doroth, who voices Chucky in the Chucky franchise. Oh, and you're you in your horror films. And she actually plays a character in the later Chucky movies and in the Chucky TV series. Oh, really? Where she gets possessed by Chucky. See, I didn't even know. Obviously, I don't. I've not seen any of that, so I didn't notice that she was anyone in particular. Yeah, this yeah. is like when she just like started out in acting, so she only gets small roles. I was like, oh, oh my yeah. god, it's her. She's very good though. Like oh, when, she's great. when they finally take the rag out of her mouth, so she can talk. Yeah. I was going to say also, Zach looks like a cheap version of Carl Urban. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> uh, British one as well, that's that's yeah. disturbing. That's not right. When Jonathan starts to relate and essentially develop Stockholm Syndrome yeah. with the British guy, Zach tells him, you need to be a man when stuff like that happens and yeah. he leaves. And he's supposed to be a man. He's tying her to a bed in her underwear. Yeah. Seems hella rapey, doesn't it? It's so yeah. Did you notice, so when Jonathan's knocking on the door... A lady asks Jonathan if he wants a date. Clearly yeah. a sex worker. Do you recognise her? No. She is in Orange is the New Black. So the actress playing the sex worker is Laverne Cox. Oh. Who is a transgender lady. Yeah, yeah. And in Orange is the New Black, she's absolutely brilliant. There's actually a fun little tidbit about Orange is the New Black. Her twin brother plays her in flashbacks pre-transition. Wow. Which is... That's actually incredible. It's a really kind of creative way yeah. of showing that person's journey, I thought. No, that's it's really actually... cool. And seeing Laverne Cox pop up here before... I think Orange is the New Black was probably her first big role. Yeah. And seeing her pop up here was quite cool. I was like, oh yeah, Laverne Cox is here. And then she grasses them up and calls the cops. Yeah. I was like, oh, Laverne. Laverne. <laughs> so then Zach and Jonathan have to hide the drugs. Yeah, so, they... so Jonathan offers Zach pot. And Zach offers Jonathan crystal meth. meth. And he's like, oh, you don't need that. It's all chemicals. It's some natural stuff. Have some weed. <laughs> and then uh, Zach, Zach actually does go to share the weed with him, which is when the cops yeah. knock on the door. So, yeah, they go to hide the drugs. And then, obviously, they see what happens. When they, they enter the room, they see It Zach, does look like a hostage John, situation. And Lisa's tied to the bed. So they, so they all get taken in. I like when the cops remove the rag from Lisa's mouth. And the thing she says about Jonathan is, I don't know what who that guy is. I think there's something wrong with him. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah. Which yeah. is accurate, yeah. Yeah, not too bad. I like that he got caught by the police in the very first episode. Yeah. Because calling yourself a private detective without a license is illegal. Yeah. And he's, he still keeps doing it. It's the premise of the whole series. Uh, the thing is, like, they try and talk him out of it, but he's like, nah. Nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing it. We see Ray and Leah come to meet him. Yeah. They are so dysfunctional. I know. Surprising, they stay together. They stay together. They're on and off, but they end up back together towards the end, and it's it's a madness to me. He is such a man child, and she babies him so much. And I, I, I literally, I wrote about it. He has like a a need and a want just to be hugged, and it's just so hilarious. Yeah, she's his mum, not his girlfriend. It's so weird. <laughs> I made a note here. When he gets back to his own flat, the close up of him putting the keys down. He's like the most film studenty thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Like in a professional thing. It's like that's when you're trying to make things look cool as a film student, you've got your story and then you do lots of pickup shots to make it look yeah. slick and cool. It's like it was such an unnecessary shot. Not that I mind but I necessarily mind it, but it just took me straight back to my film student days. <laughs> close ups of everything. <laughs> and this is when you realise he gets another phone call and you realise he's not going to stop. No, sorry, he gets an email. 
Yeah. And you realise he's not going to stop. Yeah, he's addicted to it. Yeah, it's his new thing now. He is a private detective. <laughs> so what did you think of the first episode? What do you think of Stockholm Syndrome? <laughs> it's a really good introduction to what the show's going to be and all the, like, key, all the three key players. And, yeah, it's a really good... I think it's a really good, like, first episode. I think... I think we said this before in this country about pilot has to be a good... In, no, it wasn't this country. But pilot needs to be a good encapsulation of everything mm-hmm. that you're going to get. Yeah. And I think this does a really good job of that. They nailed the characters first time. We spoke about it before in, like, the American office. The characters are not nailed down no. in the first series. And I think it's impressive that this this layout with these characters stays. Yeah. A lot of pilot... I don't know if there was a pilot episode that was made before this and stuff changed, but they stick with the formula now they've got it. Yeah, exactly. And all three of the lead actors smash their parts out of the park. Yeah, because like I say, this was like, a, this was like HBO. And yes. with HBO, they don't really do pilots. It's more just like all in one go. So I think there was a more... There's clear, there's clearly like a clear like beginning, middle, and end like journey for these characters. I don't think they were expecting... Like as we'll see, three seasons, but I think they'd be set a clear journey for the first season for all these characters. They don't do a lot of comedy, either, no. and this is definitely a comedy. In some respects, there is there is dramatic. That's why I think it's like it's more like this is dramatic comedy because yeah. it's more about the story, but then it has like the moments of levity, but it feels more realistic. As all three of the lead characters, Jonathan's actually probably the most serious, and then George and Ray provide yeah. a lot more of the comic relief. Jonathan does have his moments. Yeah. But most of the comic relief is Ray and George. Exactly, like he's like the straight man, and he has his wacky two sidekicks. Yeah, he's <laughs> one of them. He's twice his age. Exactly, <laughs> which is really great. So on to our second episode I asked you to watch, which is series one, episode six, "The Case of the Beautiful Blackmailer." Now this, I think, if I remember rightly, this is the highest rated episode on IMDb. Wow! And it's pro- is it my favorite? I do love this episode. It is really good. It's very private detective film noir <laughs> about like. You know, adultery and cheating yeah. and stuff like that. It's very nail on the head, and then obviously put a spin on it. The very I've got no hair. Actually, the very the very beginning of this episode, they're actually playing really like Starsky and Hutch seventies music, yeah. which I thought was a really cool. Like, it seems that there's homages to like noir and cop films all throughout that are quite yeah. subtle. And I really wish I don't have them on DVD. I'll rewatch them on now. I did have the DVDs years ago, and I donated them all to charity. I wish I'd had them because I'm sure there must be extras on them talking about all the homages they do. Yeah. Or there must be somewhere you can find out. So, this is when I realised, like, the story, like, they feed into each other. Because I was confused at what point did Ray get involved with this stuff. Because obviously in the first episode, he has so, no yeah. idea. Through the series, Ray, Ray hates it. But Jonathan, like, ropes him into drive yeah. and stuff like that. He offers to pay him some money as well when he's struggling. Like, he's like, I'll give you half of what I make. And Ray's like, oh, alright, fine. <laughs> but most of the series... And it, he gets less against it the more it goes on. Yeah. But most of the series, he's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Yeah. This is dumb. And even Ray, who is dumb himself, we'll get onto it in a minute, but Ray is a cartoonist, a comic book artist. Yeah, yeah. Who has got his own series, he's got his own superhero who, through the whole thing, he only releases one comic and it's got a bit of a cult following. But it's called Super Ray. And he's got his powers from his cock. Yeah, he... we'll get we'll get into that. <laughs> and this is the guy episodes. who's telling you what you're doing is stupid. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, he's so bumbling. Yeah, there's a, quite another early note as well. Jonathan's haircut when he's doing detective work, he slicks it back now, yeah. and when he's not, he has it forward. Because he just pretends to have so much confidence. Yeah, he, well, 
he's making himself look more like a real private detective. Yeah. So that everyone thinks he's a real private detective. <laughs> well, even though he's still not licensed. Yes, no, he never gets licensed. All three series, not <laughs> once does he even try to get the license, I don't think. In the UK, I think you just need a security license, the SIA oh, okay. license. I think that's what you need. And then in the US, though, you have to be a former policeman, former, used to be in the army. There's a couple of other things, but you, he's not qualified, essentially. Wow. He would never be qualified because there's like prerequisites to do it. Ray and Jonathan, at times, are so much more like a couple than best friends. Yeah. They squabble. I, I'm so assuming that's what they're going for. But the way they squabble and the way they then make up. So there's a quote I have here where the guy who is asking Jonathan to get back the footage of him cheating with yes. his wife, and he like Jonathan describes himself as a private detective. Goes, "I'm good. I'm one of the. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. So yeah, this the the premise of this episode is that uh, a man he's being blackmailed by a woman because he's cheated on his wife and this woman's recorded it. And she's demanding, was it $500 a month? After an initial yeah. thousand. Yeah. He's like, I can't afford that. And what's weird is I'm now getting on with my wife better than ever. And just, I need you to, to get rid of this footage. So Jonathan's amazing plan <laughs> is to pretend to be a married man himself. Talk to this woman and get in the same room as her. And then maybe tell her back to her place to steal yeah. the tape back. The plan is to get her in the room. Then go, oh, I have cold feet. Then so she leaves, and then they can tell her, and then they can tell her back to hers and steal the tape back. But before that, obviously, um, Jonathan goes back to where his workplace to see George. This is the first time he tells George he's a private detective. Six episodes in, yeah. So that's quite a long way. This is what is it, eight episodes a series. So we're over the halfway mark of the first series, and George only just finds out. And considering how invested. Yeah. George gets in the adventures. That's quite surprising. I love his responses. I'm the only one who gets to have secrets. <laughs> Did you ever play the first Spider-Man game on the PS1? Yes. That building in New York in the background. It's in the background of this shot and it's got like a circular... It's got a triangle roof with like a circular hole all the way through the building. Yeah, yeah. And that building always reminds me of that game because there's a bit where you're chasing... I think you're chasing Green Goblin. And he's he flies through it. Oh yeah, uh, I don't yeah. know why that building will always <laughs> remind me of that game. Ted, Ted Danson, in this is the scene where I'm like, oh, this is why he's so fantastic, because he gets like you said, he gets so upset about uh, Jonathan having a secret, and he wants to come on the adventure so bad. Yeah, he is. He's ridiculous, isn't he? What, what I find funny, so have you you've watched a good place, right? Yes, yeah, I watched the first couple of series. So what's the issue about? So obviously Ted Danson that doesn't play a person; he plays a demon. But who acts really human? Yeah. But this is a human who just does not act like a, an ordinary person would. He doesn't act like a sixty-five-year-old in ter- in charge of a magazine and a big New York magazine as well. He's 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 a bit out. He's a bit out of his gourd, isn't he? Yeah. He's not quite all there. The fact that he's done so well, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's it's very old school, like schmoozing in the seventies, where they would just get drunk and stoned, and now those people have all the power as a group. Yeah. And you can't get rid of them. They're all friends with each other. <laughs> He's but, clearly just high all the time. Oh, yeah, he's he's constantly high. It does come back to bite him in the arse later. I don't know if we, I don't think we cover it in this one, but we'll, we'll maybe we'll go over that. Well, actually, we'll have to go over it because of what he's doing in the third series. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so when Ted finds out, he wants the uh, Ted. I keep calling him Ted. George finds out he wants to help on the case. Oh, yeah. So they go to see to the private detective shop. Yeah. And do you recognise the actor? Patton Oswalt. Yes, he is. I was so excited to see him. <laughs> yeah, and the way the way I always think of him as 
the firefighter, the lead firefighter in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's my. He's done so much, but that might be my favourite role of his because him and Andy Samberg play off each other very well. It's very. My favourite thing is his character in Parts and Rec, where he does this big speech about how Boba Fett survives the Sarlacc pit, and then like scene for scene in Book of Boba Fett is exactly how he described <laughs> it. Yeah, I think whoever made Book of Boba Fett was clearly a fan. So there's like two um, notes I had before we get to Pan Oswald. So, so they all leave and they go, and Ray goes, oh, we're going to take the Subaru. And George goes, what's the Subaru? <laughs> <laughs> he's so... He's been above that threshold of pay since well before Subaru became popular in America, clearly. And he used to get driven everywhere. Yeah, mm. and there's a line where it's like, it's illegal and insane. I like insane. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's definitely my favourite character, I think. Every time he's not really included in the main adventure, he's always in a side story at least. Yeah. But every time he's not in the main adventure, I get a bit like, oh, I like him just with the guys doing exactly. the adventure. Exactly. He's more interesting where he's with everyone. Yeah. When we get to the shop, George is so enthralled with everything in the shop. He's so easily entertained. Considering he's like status in New York. Yeah. The fact that he's like, oh my God, a camera and a teddy bear. <laughs> and like, he's, he's unreal. Like he has, it's, it's almost like he's just so disconnected from everything. So like yeah. even the most mundane things seems amazing. What is he? He's like, he gets the pen with a camera in it as well. And he's like, I'm going to do all my shopping here. Yeah. <laughs> or it's where like he just spots all the cameras on the wall. Yeah. Like, have you ever had that when you like pass camera store? Yeah. And it transmits that to like the t- TV feed. Yeah. It's basically him doing that. It feels like he's basically not been in a shop for years, like an actual shop. Oh yeah. I mean, other people just bring him stuff. Yeah. To restaurants. Say. Yeah. He's he's fascination with everything in that shop tickles me every time because they come back there. It becomes a regular after this episode. It becomes quite a regular place they go to. Maybe two or three times a season. I mean, and good because it's yeah. such a because Pat Oswalt's character Howard, he's just so interesting. It's so funny, isn't it? The thing about Ray's comic as well that he wants to try and get published. Yes. About the lesbians getting pregnant. That's what I said. My next, I was that was my next note. I was just thinking how I was going to explain it. <laughs> so Ray's cartoon is actually about donating sperm. It's not yeah. about <laughs> the way he phrases it. Isn't yeah. It sounds like he's sleeping with them himself. Yeah. No, he. In an earlier episode, he donates sperm to two lesbians who claim to be fans of his. And it actually turns out that they're just con artists siphoning sperm and selling it on. (laughs) They end up selling it to another lesbian couple who, when they meet Ray, are not happy with (laughs) (laughs) him. Don't expect to like a George Clooney. They thought that the, the two, the couple who were selling them the sperm were like from a reputable company and they, the description was like Greek and I can't remember what the other things were like intelligent or whatever and they meet Ray and one of them's like oh god <laughs> the other one actually likes him and we see later on that Ray actually gets involved in the kid's life oh that's nice so the couple break up yeah <laughs> there's a really great line where Ray says something along the lines of I'm going to be seeing my son today the nice mum got custody so I get to see him <laughs> and it's just like oh god Wait, is that the one that we see in season three? The yes, child? The, the kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's the kid from the donation from here. Okay, yeah. that makes more sense now. Yeah, so the kid isn't Leah's. Yeah. It's from the sperm donation, yeah. Was it Renee? The mum? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not a major character. She kind of reappears for maybe all of another two minutes. Because I have a note with Shlishi, who is this woman? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's not someone he slept with. It's it's someone he donated sperm to. Oh, okay. Then, she decides that he needs a male role model. Why you pick Ray? I do not know. <laughs> but apparently, I've got another here. Driving around Manhattan is pointless, by the way. If you've ever been, don't. It's, it takes forever. Same as London. Yeah, get the subway. Like, just... 
Yeah, same as London. Don't yeah. bother driving around London. Unless you if you're like have to go from one end of London to the other, you just could take like motorway or whatever. Like, yeah, or, go around the M25. Yeah, use exactly. the A roads. Don't, don't exactly. Go but don't travel. Don't drive into London. They pull up to the hotel, and as soon as she 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 tells Jonathan to go get the room. Yeah. And as soon as the plan is at all altered, you know, you know this is going to go super badly. My favorite thing about this is Jonathan uses Ray's name. <laughs> yes, yeah, he. When Ray finds out, he gets quite upset, especially because really he's like in a happy relationship, yeah. quote unquote. Like, so Jonathan is now entrusting Ray and George to enact part of his plan for him to be ready for when he comes out to do the tale. Yeah. And do you know what they do when he goes in? Immediately get high. They immediately get high. They get so stoned straight away. <laughs> and then they start... When they start drawing each other? Yeah, so... George gets... Um, so Ray gets his pad out and starts yeah. drawing George and obviously a very... And then George's like, can I draw you now? <laughs> like, I feel like a child. <laughs> so we see Jonathan in the room waiting for the blackmailer and she straight away is quite like a femme fatale. Yeah. She comes in with a long coat. She's got the shorter haircut with the bob. Yeah. So it would more be associated with people in, say, the 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah. Uh, so you immediately get there's another kind of homage to noir. Straight away, she looks like a something out of the past. And straight away, he almost lets slip what his name is. And exactly. fucks it up. <laughs> he's just immediately attracted to her. No, yeah. So he's like, sees how pretty she is and starts fumbling over his words and almost fucking it up. And then, um, well, he does fuck up because he immediately has sex with her. Yes, he does. I was going to say, before they get that, though, we go, we cut back to the car. Jo- Ray has to tell George not to high-dial his own daughter. And I've never heard the phrase high-dial, but I, I quite like it. Oh, okay, because I didn't know who that name was, so I thought it was his ex-wife. No, it's his daughter. Yeah. Which is um, why the voice changer thing. Yes, so that's from, more creepy. Also from the spy shop, they buy a voice changer. Yeah. Of course he does. And he's like, maybe I'll call her with this. And he's like, no, don't do that. That's creepy. It, That's so creepy. It just reminds me of Homeland like 1 or 2 when he has the voice change. He's like, this is McAllister, the father. Yeah. Well, in that, he just, isn't he just like slowing the, yeah, the slow down, down the face? Yeah, yeah. It's so good. I like the way that when they first start making out and stuff, Jonathan and the Sophia. Sophia, he's trying to play it super cool but he's in tighty whiteies yeah. so he just looks ridiculous like there's an immediate comic value and we saw it with bottom to a full adult man in tighty whiteies exactly there's, a, there's a, something you can't do the older you get the less you can wear them yeah so after they have sex which Jonathan just goes through with it and in a way I suppose if he was legitimately not married and went on that site and found her and he wasn't an investigator at worst, it would just be a bit of a dickhead. Yeah. But it's so cringe that he's like meant to be investigating her and he's just like falls for his baser instincts to go to go sleep he's with not, her. He's not good at his job. No, he is not. When Jonathan has a shower and when she goes through his stuff, she realises his name isn't Ray, he's Jonathan Ames, yeah. and she Googles him as well. Yeah. And realises, <laughs> she reads his Amazon ranking as an author and he gets really upset. Because <laughs> it's low. And he's like, they do not reflect anything. Like They're, they're not right. <laughs> so she threatens to put so he's like you've got nothing on me I'm not married I yeah. don't really care what you do and she's like well I could put it on YouTube or Facebook it's like that would immediately get taken down wouldn't it yeah exactly and actually now he's completely illegal <laughs> I love his response where he like he feels by trick like, but you had two orgasms <laughs> <laughs> she may have been faking those Jonathan she may have been faking those we cut back outside and George and Ray miss 
who we t- we find out later is her brother. Yeah, coming in after she's called him. Yeah, to, coming in the big van to help extort Jonathan. So this is where we find out the plan is that they're a brother and sister duo, which is creepy as hell, by the way. Yeah, he's pimping his sister out for this. Yeah, but they they're doing it to extort thousands of dollars from idiots, essentially yeah. from from people. Uh, people like Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, people like Jonathan and the guy he's helping. Just before they leave, though, before Sophia and her brother leave, he whacks Jonathan, and she says, "You didn't have to hurt him." I mean, like, oh, she's coming round already. Yeah, this lovable idiot. I know. Like, bought, like that, that goof. It's like a goofy charm he's got. Yeah, and I think the more you see the character, so I rewatched the whole series when we did this. Wow. Because I, I just haven't rewatched it in about yeah. five years. He does get more lovable. Like the more you get to know him, and the more you get to know his little furballs. Yeah, he's. He's very, he's a very lovable character. Because he's, he's, he's just this, a goofball. Yeah, he's not doing this out of like any malicious intent, like to like scam people. He actually wants to try and help them. Yeah, he wants he's to help. He's just going about the wrong way. He also wants to be quite cool, but he yeah. does want to help, yeah. There are many moments through the series where he does stuff for free, or obviously he doesn't charge very much, and he helps people when they don't ask for it. Yeah. So he's, he, all in all, he is a good character. Yeah. So... She warms to, her warming to them six episodes in. Actually, if you'd watch it in order, isn't much of a surprise. Yeah. So when they when they get back in the car and arrive at the house, Ray looks so stoned. His eyes are so bloodshot. I see. Why Ray was like driving while high, really irresponsible. Yeah, that's so bad. At least they're in like the suburbs of New York because New York's weird. So if you're in the center of Manhattan, driving is impossible. If you go down to like the village, like Brighton Village and stuff, there's almost no cars. It's a really weird setup. So I'm thinking they're down by the village because it's quite quiet. Yeah. Ray Ray tells Jonathan why does he want the sex tape back? He thinks a sex tape will help Jonathan's career, <laughs> which is. Well, I mean, some people have done. it does. Made bank, to be fair. I like. Um, I've got no here. I like George coming on their adventures. He's too stoned to think, but he's having a really good time. Exactly. He's is just enjoying he it. Yeah. He's like, I'm too stoned to think, but I'm having a really good time. <laughs> which, which is nice, really. Exactly. So this is where we find out the the plan of the blackmailers. And it is her brother who's pimping her out. It's so weird. The three guys, Ray, Jonathan and George, are in the car. And they're coming up with their battle plan. Yeah. And George gets given Ray's stepdaughter's hobby horse unicorn yeah. as a weapon. <laughs> She's like, that's not, that's not going to do anything. But then, the, yeah, that's the thing where... Jonathan's in there. He's trying like to talk Sophia, and she's like, she's coming round to it. Yeah, before but, the brother comes back. Again, before the brother yeah. oh, yeah, comes he, back, so the brother leaves, and Jonathan goes in on his own yeah. to try to talk around because he feels like he was getting to her. Yeah, yeah. But then the brother comes back, so then Ray and George just raid in, and you just hear, you just hear the carnage. What I like about that is quite a clever way to get around having to film a fight scene. Yeah, because whatever movie she's watching on TV, there's a fight going on in the yeah. scene. And you just hear punch and noises and groans from the characters, but you just see the fight that's happening on the film. Yeah. Which I thought was quite a nice way to not have to film a fight scene. Exactly. <laughs> Especially in a small house. And then as they're running away, George like just throws back the horse. The horse. unicorn, yeah, yeah. He uses the unicorn. And then he's, he has to die through the window. <laughs> yeah. Of all the characters that need to die through the window. Poor George. <laughs> so they start trying to get away from the brother. And at this point, they've got the tapes back. Yeah. Haven't they? And... So, sorry, we've jumped ahead a bit. They get the tapes back. And do they get the money back? Yes. Yes, so they get the money back. Oh, that's a really good joke earlier on. When they make Jonathan go and take out... Oh, yeah, from the ATM. So he's like, it only lets me take... They want $500. They only lets me take out 200 And the brother says, we'll do free withdrawals. He's like, well, just so you know, I'm giving you 
five hundred dollars and uh, five hundred and nine dollars yeah. because it's three dollars per transaction. He just hits him again. <laughs> just whacks him again. Which is where she says you don't have to hurt him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good line. After that, they come back, they've got the tape, they've got the money back, and they're trying to escape the brother now. And the brother's chasing them, and what do they do? They crash into a cop car. They crash into a parked cop car. And they think, for some reason, the brother gives up, and they're all looking at him, giving him the finger. Yeah. And then they don't realise what they've done. Yeah. They just plough into a cop car. But then George's like, oh, I can sort this all out. George is so... Like, Jonathan should have informed George earlier what he's doing because George is so handy to have in these situations. Exactly. You have a rich money man. That's all you yeah. need. Yeah, he's, he's like he must be a millionaire if you see his apartment later. He must be a millionaire. He's got really high New York social status. Any trouble you got in, he can make it go away. Yeah. Like, short of you killing someone, I'm pretty sure he can make it go away. And he does. He uses his power and his lawyer to make it go away. And then he also says to Ray, I can get you a job for my my company George wants Ray and Jonathan to work together on a comic book about yeah. that adventure and Jonathan's like oh this could be fun we've never worked together and Ray says I don't care about that I just need the money yeah. which shows the level of their friendship <laughs> like Jonathan wants to be creative it shows them as people as well because Jonathan really wants to be creatively fulfilled yeah and Ray just, just wants, wants the, wants the money. cash <laughs> it's the two so sides of creativity when Jonathan see uh, meets up with a client yeah and Ray waits outside the drive. Do you recognise the diner that he meets the client in? No. It is the diner from Goodfellas. Really? So the one where they find out that Joe Pesci's character has been killed. Yeah, yeah. And De Niro smashes the crap out of the phone. It's that diner. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of those. It's like a lot of things in, obviously, out in America and LA. They you reuse all of them. That's cool. I just remembered we, we missed out a line there where... Um... Ray calls uh, Jonathan. He's like, "Can you get me a cheeseburger with no cheese to go, please?" <laughs> cheeseburger with no cheese. Does does he order, he orders it like that as well, doesn't he? he yeah. Asks for a cheeseburger with no cheese when he could just ask for a hamburger. <laughs> That's like a recurring joke, like like a bunch of different shows. And I always just wonder: is it does it actually taste different, or are they just that pernickety? I wonder if it's what maybe it's a joke from like an old sitcom. Yeah, and they all reuse it as like a. Nod like an inside, like you said, yeah, it's yeah. A, uh, an American kind of sitcom joke that gets recycled. So, what do you think of episode two? Oh, uh, no, not episode two, our second episode, but episode series one, episode six. I loved it, yeah. The case it's, of the beautiful black man, that one it's so hilarious, it's so good, isn't it? It's the, I think it might be the one of the ones we watch where they nail the noir comedy best, yeah. All the tropes are there, and also just. Finally, like bringing George like on board to like the whole trio. Yeah, George comes on the adventure, and it, all of a sudden everything gets better. Because you get more screen time with Ted Danson, which, no. is what, which is what you need. I've never. Have you ever watched Cheers? Of course. I oh, see. I've never watched it. He's great in it. Maybe we should watch watch that for the for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I really want now after seeing this and seeing Good Place. I know Cheers is where he got his start. So do I really? Want, I should go back and watch it. I feel like he's he's a bit more straight laced in that. He's kind of like the straight man of it, but yeah. it, it, he has so much charisma, so... On to episode... Our third episode, but series two, episode three. The Gowanus Canal has gonorrhea. <laughs> which is a, a reference that comes out later. Yeah, um, they, they, but, say, they say exactly word for word. Yeah, the Gowanus is a canal in New York, and apparently it has gonorrhea. <laughs> so... My first note was, oh no, why is George at the doctors? And they're followed up by, he has what?! <laughs> Yeah, we go straight off the bat with something real heavy here. George's doctor tells him that he has cancer. And then he makes out with the doctor. Because he's George. Yeah. <laughs> he gets his face put straight in her chest. 
And then he makes out with it. <laughs> well, like he has, a, he has like a moment of realization of what's about to happen. She just like reaches around and grabs her yeah. arms. And he asks, Are "You ever this nice to any of your other patients?" She says, "No." She has like a very confused look on her face. <laughs> I actually forgot about this storyline um, before rewatching it. I was like, "Ah," oh. because the rest of this episode, I'm like, "I love this episode," but I forgot that this was part of it. And also that you don't get the the wrap up of it in this episode either. No. Do you want to know the wrap up of George and this storyline? Sure. George doesn't have cancer. Okay. So there's another George with a very similar surname and they got switched around. <laughs> and when George is getting prepped to have the tumour removed, uh, he actually gets taken to the surgery and Jonathan's the one who realises. Because the, the nurse keeps calling him by the other surname that's quite similar and George just dismisses it as she keeps getting it wrong. Oh, wow. And it's a really nice moment where they're like, oh, that's a relief. And then they realise that the other George has now gone even longer <laughs> and still has the cancer and it's probably gotten worse. <gasps> and it's so dark. But George is all, but our George is all clear. Yeah. <laughs> that puts other stuff into perspective later. And in fact, he gets, nearly gets, so between this and the last episode, the magazine gets bought by oh, a right-wing Christian company. And they do random drug tests and it gets found out that George is a pothead and they threaten to send him to rehab and then he's like, I've got cancer. But then they, when they find out, when he tells them, oh, I don't have cancer, and they're like, well, then you have to go to rehab. He's like, but I thought I had cancer. <laughs> and it, it's a weird thing because the character shouldn't be right, but he is right. Yeah. They're like, you, you, as far as they're concerned, they don't know he's a pothead. They think, yeah. thought, they thought that he thought he had cancer and was going to take that for the pain yeah and then he finds out he doesn't surely that like kind of goes well you don't need to go to rehab then we'll just test you in a few weeks yeah exactly <laughs> just <laughs> but to be they, careful they try to send him to rehab and as we find out in the episode we're going to talk about after this he no longer works at the magazine he quits yeah but that's that's the result of all the cancer and it actually ends up him quitting the magazine that's that's the storyline wow but then from that doctor we cut to Jonathan on a date with Jenny Slate yes so I had to look this up she's in the two episodes before this as well. So, yes, there's an episode when Ray finds out that the sperm he donated has been stolen and given away. And to try and track it down, he knows that the two women he donated it to originally shopped at a... I can't remember what it's called, but they've got these things in America where they use all natural produce and farmers come together and sell it. Like or, a, or a farmer's market. Kind of, but you have to be like a member to go there. I don't know. But she works there. The character works there and she's a pothead. Oh, okay. And they're trying to convince her to tell Ray and Jonathan the address yeah. of the, 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 the ladies. She refuses and they even offer money and she refuses and then, John, then Jonathan offers his really good pot. It's like, do you want to come smoke with us? And she accepts. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they get like into really deep chats and they become a couple. And yeah. then in the episode before this, she suggests that they become polyamorous because she rekindles her relationship with her first boyfriend. Yeah. Which is where we kind of meet up now and Jonathan and her are on a date. And what happens? Well, she decides she wants to be monogamous, but not with Jonathan. <laughs> with the other member of the... Yeah. yeah. With... Um, the guy's called Warren. Yeah. He's just... Apparently he's a comedian, but he's a... We don't see any of that. We, all we see is he's an obnoxious asshole, And he, like, talks down to Jonathan and stuff. And by this point, you love Jonathan. Yeah. You leave Jonathan alone, you big prick. Well, like, what a way to be broken up with like in front of a naked lady climbing out yeah. of a giant condom <laughs> and then 
while I was at dress, like, why does this need to be a date? <laughs> yeah, so they're on a date, and it's in like I don't know what you call it. It's almost I suppose is it like a burlesque That's what show? I was, yeah, I put burlesque. So there's an act on the stage, and she's in underwear and topless, and she's yeah. in like a balloon. And the act is she kind of forces her way into the balloon, then back out. I don't really. Yeah. You, you kind of you've got the conversation going on in the foreground, and the act's happening in the background. So I don't really know what's happening. Yeah, it's it's just meant to like catch your eye, but you're not really meant to focus on it. Yeah. So then after that, when Jonathan goes outside, he gets kidnapped. <laughs> which is, is one of my favourite lines in that bit. Which, I live, I'm from South London originally, and a lot of it has been gentrified. So this line really struck a chord with me when Jonathan says, there must be some mistake, I've never been mugged. I wrote that line. gentrified for years. <laughs> I wrote that line. <laughs> it's such a good line. and I love how they kidnap him in a zip car. Oh yeah, they've hired a zip car. What, a, what, what criminals these two are. <laughs> They don't even have their own their own car. Did you recognise any of the actors? Either of the actors? No, I didn't. So the bigger guy, who's the more aggressive guy, is Dominic Lombardozzi. And he always, always plays a heavy. <laughs> like, I've never seen him do anything else but play like... I mean, he heavy. has the body type for it and the rough accent. Yeah, so I'm not saying he doesn't do it well. He does it very well. <laughs> they take Jonathan to a warehouse by the docks. And what is immediately funny is... They're violent criminals with guns, and yet to talk to Jonathan, they use big brother tactics. Fucking Charlie horse. They give him a Charlie horse, which, if you don't know what that is, it's quite American, I'm sure. We've said it before, we've actually got quite a few American listeners, which is lovely, thank you. Uh, Say hi on our Instagram if you're listening. (laughs) But it's where you kind of arch your middle finger into a point. Yeah. Like, I'm showing Tim now, like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you punch. Yeah. And it kind of creates a dead point where you punch on the leg, and they call that a Charlie horse. It makes your leg go well dead. As a big brother, yeah, it's useful. Is this tied to another episode? Because they mention Jonathan's. Because the reason they kidnapped him is because Jonathan owes. Was it 50,000? 50, no, no, he doesn't owe anything. So in a previous episode before this, Jonathan does a job for a policeman who's into all manner of kinky things. Yeah. Some of them actually you would consider. Something you wouldn't be ashamed of, kind of yeah. fifteen years later, like it is now. But the way it's set up in there, he's like ashamed of. He goes to uh, like an S and M dungeon. Yeah, all his data of who he is and his credit card and stuff is on the hard drive. And it turns out the S and M dungeon is actually just a front. Yeah, and they're laundering money and drugs because there's going to be a raid. This policeman knows there's going to be a raid because he's a policeman, and he yeah. hires Jonathan to go steal the hard drive. Yeah, and they were going to use, and the hard drive has, as they say in this episode has information that they were going to use to blackmail officials who use the place, and they're yeah. going to open a new dungeon out in New Jersey. So Jonathan succeeds, though. He he signs up to be a client, and then when he's all in bondage gear, <laughs> he steals the hard drive, <laughs> and he runs around... He, he's, uh, he's locked into a gimp mask, and he runs away with the hard drive, and then he actually, when the ra- as the raid's happening, he escapes the building, and the policeman's there with a horse... Wow. And they escape on horse, yeah. And Jonathan in his gimp suit. <laughs> so that's that's the uh, precursor to that. <laughs> and so they realise, obviously, they realise it was Jonathan. Yeah. And it was their dungeon. Ah, okay. Now it all makes more sense. So, yeah, they want the hard drive back. Originally, they don't want the money. They want the hard drive so they can blackmail people. Then yeah. he tells them he's destroyed it. Yeah. And So they, so they want 20000 so they can open up the dungeon in New Jersey anyway. Yes, so they just want the money from him. And at first they're actually like, well, who was who hired you? We'll blackmail him. And he's like, well, you won't blackmail him. He's a cop. And they're like, oh, well, give us the money then. <laughs> he's like, do you have any rich friends? And he's got one rich friend. 
who's already smoking pot. <laughs> yes. He's got himself a new vaporizer. Yeah. And he is high as fuck. Because <laughs> when they when they tell him like the address that he needs to be there, what time, he starts writing it in the air yeah. with his finger. This is where he chooses to tell Jonathan he has the cancer yeah. over the phone while stoned and Jonathan's being held hostage. Jonathan then tells one of the kidnappers and he goes, follow that under who cares, which I'm going to use from now on. Yeah. <laughs> so Jonathan, not Jonathan, George gets hold of Ray and they go back to Howard's spy shop. Yeah. And they buy uh, some new bits or they don't buy, they put it on George's account. So by this point, George has an account. That's how much they're going back there and George is enjoying his shopping. My first thought is, why would you give these morons flash grenades? Well, because Howard's can make money off them. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't care what's going. It's He just likes that they're coming back. I think that's what it is. Like, repeat re- business. Yeah, repeat business. So there's it's... a line that George says about John. He's like, he's he's like my limbo baby. <laughs> the limbo baby, who's a famous dear baby who went missing. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously he's been kidnapped. Which is... I suppose it's one of those things that it's so far in the past that it's now funny, but oh god, like if it had happened nearer to the time. Yeah, god. Like, it's, it's, it's a good thing, like, he's my battling McCann. Oh. Yeah, I think that would have been much darker. Yeah, too too soon. Plus, it's America, so they don't give a crap about anything British, do they? That's true. Howard, we find out Howard is occasionally stays at the shop to make his wife want him more, but the way he talks about her is so creepy. I know. It's so disgusting. He basically just admits he just uses her for sex. Yeah, he's like, I stay here, so when I come home, the wife wants some sex. It's like, great. <laughs> Lovely. So we go back to the warehouse where they're holding Jonathan, and the two kidnappers are now arguing with each other. One of them, who is the, the bigger guy, talks about how you know he's, he's with his wife and has been praised, and the other one talks about his sexual preferences. Yeah. And there's a term here which is grim. Like, not grim because of what the context of it Grim because of like he's using it as an insult and that's yeah, horrible and it's a... he, he uses the term tranny chaser it's such a horrible term it, uh, it caught me off guard it the... genuinely because they repeat it multiple times throughout the episodes yeah and it's like 2009 doesn't feel like it's that long ago or 2010 because this is series 2 yeah doesn't feel like it's that long ago and yet this got past Sensors that would not allow that now. Yeah, it's like like you mentioned in I can't remember which episode you mentioned in, but when in Doctor Who when Rose Tyler called the Doctor gay, yeah, as an insult, and that was two thousand five, yeah, and that again two thousand five, yeah, okay, eighteen years ago, but respectively in history, that's not very long ago, and no. it's mad what kind of got onto national television. Well, that's it. I think if you think about um, like ten, fourteen years ago. It's like, oh, we can't make gay jokes anymore. Who's the next we can yeah. go after? Uh, so, ah, trans people. I think if, with a few touches, this could have made more palatable. Yeah. If he was made out to be the arsehole for saying it. Yeah. If Jonathan had turned around and been like, hey, man, that's not cool. We, you know, I mean, people are people. Impl- the- yeah, like, he is implied to be, like, the dick of the situation. But I, in, from, from my, for the kind of sake of taste yeah it's not played up that he's a prick for no. saying that enough you know it's bad when Ori Sonny does better for like trans jokes and they're and, like, and I mean like early Ori Sonny like seasons one and two and they're doing it to push buttons yeah this isn't doing it to push buttons this is doing it because they think it's funny yeah exactly and 
This is it, it just comes out of nowhere. So it feels unnecessary. And as you said, if this tweaks the joke slightly or like the presentation of that thug, because I don't think yeah. they ever say his name. No. So let's call him Fug One, <laughs> Big Fug. Um, if this tweaks his presentation a bit more to be like clearly the dick. Yeah. And like Jonathan, like have more of a like a what the fuck reaction kind of thing. Yeah. It would have been much better. It's like what we said about Bottom as well. Yeah. Where Richie is clearly suppressing his homosexuality. Yeah. And if they had have had longer, maybe they would have macked it. Yeah. They're always sending through the Delphi where Mac is repressing his sexuality and then later accepts it. Yeah. Uh, kind of a, a character arc in a full circle. And yeah, it's kind of giving these things maybe more time, but then this is a one-off character and it was, it was never going to be... This is the only... I want to rewatch the whole thing, and this is really the only scene where I like uh, it felt a bit sour to me. Yeah, because it's such a good show, so fun, so tongue in cheek, and this bit I'm like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, it's very just like, oh come on. At least it's coming from like a horrible thug character. Yeah, it's not Jonathan Ray or George. Yeah, I, f- I think it would have been it would have left a much like worse taste in my mouth if it was one of those three. Yeah, for sure, because they're all nice guys. <laughs> yeah, but I do like how they have relationship talk and the big thug. Gives the most cliched answer, which is never go to bed angry. And yeah, and Jonathan goes, Oh, isn't that a cliche? And he goes, It's a cliche because it works. Now yeah. shut the fuck up. <laughs> She's like, Oh, I forgot we're a hostage situation. Yeah. <laughs> this is when the two thugs start arguing with each other. Yeah. And Jonathan kind of stokes it. The two thugs are talking about Oscar Wilde. The smaller thug says he has. He, he empathises with the poetry and the words of Oscar Wilde, yeah. possibly because they both did time in prison. Jonathan says, I also like Oscar Wilde, and they talk about it a bit. And the big thug, the one who's obviously the more horrible one, also then goes on about, shut the fuck up about Oscar Wilde. <laughs> and while they're arguing with each other, Jonathan shoot, like slips out of his ropes yeah. and then tries to use the time to run at a locked door <laughs> like a moron. This is where he falls down, because by this point, he's solved quite a few cases. But he still makes stupid, rash decisions. I know, it's hilarious. There would have been a much better way of dealing with that. The guy was holding a gun and not pointing at you. Grab the gun! <laughs> what is he I doing? Mean, it probably, probably would have ended up with him getting shot. But... Yeah, maybe. I don't know, but there's a better idea than running straight at a door. Yeah. We cut to outside, and Ray and George are armed, <laughs> ready to go, and stoned as fuck. And they are waiting the agreed meet time of two o'clock before George realises why are we doing that that's a stupid idea we have the element of surprise <laughs> so they decide to go in seven minutes seven early seven minutes early all the surprise of seven minutes yeah. when they're clearly not going to be waiting they go oh it's seven two maybe they'll be here in a second <laughs> idiots well he does every, say I am a stoned idiot every time they could be useful they get stoned as fuck and fuck it up it's so good and then I love, so George makes Ray run in first, like, and the answer is because I'm because I have cancer. And then Ray goes, "You're already using that." <laughs> what I love is as Ray runs in, he does little spins on the spot, yeah. which would do nothing, but it's adorable. <laughs> He's got like they've got guns with rubber bullets, yeah. And Ray's running in and doing little spins on the spot, not not rolls, not running shoulder rolls. He literally does a three sixty spin on his feet and keeps <laughs> running. That's great. And George, what does he do before he runs in? 
takes a hit of his vaporizer. Yeah. No, because he thinks it's a walkie-talkie. Yes, he's trying to talk to Ray through it. Because we get the joke earlier as well in the spy shop. Yeah. He's like, oh, you sell vaporizers? He's like, these are walkie-talkies. Yeah. Um, and he goes like, it's like I, I can see him. I can see him. It just inhales immediately. <laughs> yeah. So they've got no way of contacting because George has bought the vaporizer instead yeah. of the walkie-talkies. So he just shouts at Ray, doesn't he? Yeah. He's running in after Ray and then he has a flashback of Howard telling him to check the safety. Oh, yeah. And he checks the, the safety. safety and it just fires. Yeah. And he, he bounces off of the window, shatters it, yeah. but then hits Ray square in the forehead. <laughs> and these idiots have fucked everything up now. As Ray and George like kind of huddle together on the floor as the other two come out, George goes to throw the flashbang. And just rebounds off the door and goes right back into the... Yeah, and they blind themselves. Yeah. That is how they chose to try and save Jonathan. But it's a great fade to white transition. Yeah, it's not often you get a good fade to white. It's often used for like death and stuff. But a flashbang, that works. Yeah. And yeah, we flash to white and in back into the warehouse. And all three of them are now tied yeah. up. The small thug is, um, is in disbelief that Jonathan tried to use Oscar Wilde against him. Yeah. It's a classic manoeuvre. I can't remember what gets around to this conversation. But it turns out that George says he hasn't tried LSD. And I'm like, how hasn't he tried ecstasy? I know. He was in the 60s and 70s and he's a big pothead. I'm really surprised he hasn't. They no longer trust George to produce the money. So Jonathan's got one more idea and it's his parents. Yeah. They drive to Jonathan's parents' house in New Jersey in broad daylight in their zip car. When they get there, Jonathan's dad only has $2,000. He gives it to them. And the the, uh, the thug, the bigger one, gets upset and points the gun. And then Jonathan's dad points out, what are you going to do? It's broad daylight. Exactly. And then the little thug goes, we need to get out of here. It's too bright here. Fucking Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey sucks. <laughs> so they leave with their two grand. And John, it cuts to Jonathan, Ray and George in Jonathan's childhood bedroom. That's because it was a bit right before that. As they're driving away, John's dad goes up and says, Oh, that's a zip car. Is that better than all the other car rental services? <laughs> his wife goes, like, What are you doing? It's like, I have a right to ask on my property. <laughs> he's so he's such a dad, that character. He's just like, I want to know this information, so I'm going to ask these two violent yeah. thugs with a gun. They're in Jonathan's childhood bedroom. And Jonathan's mum calls up saying there's food ready. And obviously Ray and Jonathan have been long-time friends because Ray's like, have you got... I think he's asked for fish or something. Like yeah. Pictures. And she's like, I got them just for you, Ray. And he says it in a high-pitched voice to like, mimic hers. Yeah. And then, as they're leaving, George gives them a little factoid about pot in New Jersey being legal. Yeah. And this is where Ray goes, George, you're the greatest pothead I've ever known. My father knows, is George always high? It's like, yes. Yes, he, yes, is. he is. He lives high. <laughs> And then I've actually got the little note off this is explaining about the raid on the sex dungeon, which we've already covered. So that's that's good. That covers my last note. So what do you think of that episode? It's my favourite episode of the four you made me watch. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's, it's definitely up there. It's just all just like character stuff. Like there's not really much in terms of story, but just in terms of like character interactions, it's just incredible. It is. It's really good, isn't it? Of the ones we watched, it's the time you see Jonathan really in trouble with some proper violent criminals because it never yeah. felt like the brother in the last episode was ever going to kill him no. it felt like he was going to beat him up yeah. but not kill him <laughs> these lot feel like and the same with Zack in the first episode it feels like if he was going to do anything he's just going to rough him up exactly these two will kill him exactly yeah it's such a great episode and we've got one more episode that we watched yes which was series 3 episode 3 the black clock of time 
So there's a long history with Jonathan and Lewis Green. He is in the first series. He is there's a rival magazine. Yeah. And it's owned by the husband of George's ex-wife. Oh, okay. Who George has an affair with. <laughs> uh, so he's having an affair with his ex-wife, which is great. And they challenge each other to a boxing match. And then Jonathan challenges Lewis, because Lewis is a snarky bastard who gave Jonathan's first book a bad review. Yeah. And then Ray's like, I want to fight someone. So they bring along a random cartoonist. <laughs> Ray has to fight him. <laughs> the only one who wins his fight out of the three of them is Jonathan. Wow. George would have won, but he takes a dive because his ex-wife, who he starts having an affair with, asks him to because her current husband has a bad heart. And if he gets too roughed up, he's probably going to die. So George takes a dive. Wow. And Ray just gets distracted and gets punched in the face. <laughs> but the cartoonist guy is actually a masochist uh, and wants to be beaten up. And he gets really upset when he gets one lucky shot on Ray when Ray gets distracted and Ray never hits him. He's like, oh, I wanted to get beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> And it never happens. Really oh, good. Poor, poor lad. And Lewis... Yeah, so Lewis becomes a regular kind of fixture. Lewis also gets involved. He tails Jonathan in one episode. So Jonathan applies for a job that Lewis has also applied for. And then Jonathan has to go on a case and Lewis tails him and ends up getting... Again, Jonathan gets kidnapped. Uh, and so does Lewis. Oh, God. But Jonathan helps them Jonathan gets them to escape yeah because by this point he's got he's even better at being a detective kind of makes distraction escapes Lewis is a liability has yeah. his ankle broke and um, and they're running through the woods and he's like leave me here and Lewis tries to hide and Jonathan's like I'll come back for you and Lewis tries to hide he's got like his feet poking out from his hiding place and the thugs find him and Jonathan has to save him again uh. and then they both wrote a version of it the story and entered it into a New Yorker contest New Yorker the magazine and Lewis's version won the contest. Yeah, because they referenced that. Yes. Yeah. And Jonathan rewrites Lewis's character as a busty blonde, essentially, uh, like a femme fatale. And Lewis just tells the story as as if Jonathan's like delusional. <laughs> so they're kind of both twists on reality. But that's amazing. Lewis, unfortunately, Lewis's one wins. So that's where we're kind of at with their their rivalry. Their rivalry. So they are full on. Rivals, yeah. So that's who Lewis Green. For for you, for some context, and for anyone listening, if you only watched the four, or you're not even watching, just wanted to listen. We start off. Uh, Jonathan is trying to find his birth dad. Yeah. Because he tells his dad that he thinks it's great that Ray donated sperm and now he's a dad. And Jonathan's dad's relieved because he's like, "Well, we were never going to tell you this, but you're from a sperm donor too, because I'm infertile." So, which is why Jonathan's trying to find his birth dad. That, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's also the line, who has burned down a sperm bank? <laughs> yeah. it's so, there, so Jonathan is looking, he's from a sperm bank that got burnt down in New Jersey. Uh, so he's trying to find out who his real father is. We go straight to a playgroup where Ray is with his kid from his donation. Yes. And Ray is like, I, I love being a parent one day a week. But you don't understand how tiring it is. Yeah. He's had the kid for two hours and he needs a nap and makes Jonathan look after him. I know. He's such a lazy But then he refers to sniffing his child as baby cocaine. Yeah, when he's sniffing the hair, yeah, yeah. the smell. He actually... Is it in this one? In one of the episodes, he writes the kid into his comic book. Oh, wow. He writes the kid in as his sidekick into the comic book, which is weird considering you think Super Ray's power is his giant god. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> 
And then there's a really great bit here where they're talking about burning down the sperm donation place and Ray says, think of all the tiny little semen screams. <laughs> I like how Ray's been a dad for 10 minutes, didn't even know about the kid for a while and now includes himself in Jonathan's father thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's like got his, his adoptive dad or the, the dad who raised him. He's got George and he includes himself. It's yeah. like, you've been friends since you were kids. How, like, just because you're a dad. You're not a father figure to him. <laughs> oh, I love Ray. Ray's great. So is it the next? Is it the next scene where we meet? Uh, well, I don't she was introduced before, but it's the first time I see her, George's daughter. So that is the daughter he was talking about calling. Yeah. Earlier on that we spoke about. So yeah, we have seen her. We seen we've seen her once before this, actually in person. He's spoken about her a few times. Yeah. But this is the only time we've seen her. And they meet in George's new restaurant. Oh, okay. So that restaurant that they're sat in yeah. is George's new business, and it's all to do with local produce within 100 miles. Oh, wow. And it starts to do badly, because his rival from the boxing match opens one, and they say, 50 miles. <laughs> and it turns out, after this, after this episode, after Lewis gets arrested at the end of this episode, not to spoilers, but Lewis does, uh, and he goes to prison. <laughs> and he... Um, now has to work in the restaurant because he can't do anything else. And oh. It turns out that he's just buying the produce from a local supermarket. <laughs> but yes, and that that so this is George's new natural produce restaurant that they're in, which is why he's in like charge of it and bossing people around and stuff. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And we meet his daughter's very old boyfriend Bernard. As for it, there's a sizable age gap here. And for George, that's just looking in a mirror. <laughs> yeah. Because they're a similar age and George is always hitting on younger women. Yeah. After we see that kind of awkward encounter between George and his daughter and her new fiancé to be. Oh, yeah, because he gets that really, you didn't ask my permission. Yeah, so in an earlier episode, he asked for George's permission and George just keeps putting it off. Oh, really? So he's like, yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I, I need to think about it. But he just obviously did it without actually asking for permission. That's it, yeah. So we cut to the next scene, which is Ray in the park. Being a massive with perf. Spencer, that's the kid's name. He's with Spencer. I don't think he is being a perf. I think he's just that. Like, it goes over his head. I think he feels like he should be able to join in with the mum group because he's a parent. But it's the moment where he, like, says, oh, like, can, can she have some? Like, us. Oh, no, is, but that, is that one tapped out? But he's asking if his kid can have a drink. He's not asking if he can look at them or he can. I don't know. I think he's just. You could definitely read it as he's being a perv. I read it as he's being a moron. I read it as he's being so dumb that he thinks a woman who's breastfeeding her own child will then go, oh yeah, your son can be, I'll breastfeed your son. Yeah, sure. I just, I read it as he's being dumb. I I mean, he is very, very, very dumb. (laughs) And so that's kind of the situation there. And we leave, we leave Ray there with the mums for a bit and we go to George's office. Yeah. Where George is talking to Jonathan. And there's a really great line where he says, He's a really good father to Jonathan because he doesn't care if he actually succeeds because he's not really his yeah. dad. <laughs> and Jonathan goes, actually, you're not a good robot. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. So he mentions that his daughter and fiance do something called dog roleplay. Yeah. He goes, but thankfully, he's the dog. It's like, what? It's what? still weird. Yeah. It's still weird. So when they first meet, actually, he comes in, the Bernard, the, the boyfriend, comes in in all lycra off his bike. As she calls him like a dog, it is bizarre. Yeah. Like, come here, boy. Come here, boy. Uh, it is. It is weird. That is is the difficulty with a series like this. We're picking the best episodes to talk about, but because we we both have full time jobs, yeah. so we don't have the time to sit and watch whole series of stuff. So there are stuff. Obviously, there are blanks that need filling in. So 
kind of do our best on the blanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this is like, well, apart from um, when it was like the special of this country, this is like the first time where all the episodes kind of like feed into each other. Yeah. So you kind of need to watch everyone so you get like a full grasp of everything. Because I think with this country, it was just the special that we yeah. didn't cover. Most of this country, aside from the storyline with Daisy May Cooper's character and her dad, yeah, you could watch them in any order. Yeah, kind exactly. of there isn't much con- kind of like continuity through yeah. each one. Then this yeah. one, it it's like it sits with continuity. Yeah, there is an overarching story for sure, like more so than this country. Yeah. So we go back to the park. And poor Ray, I actually feel really sorry for him here. He puts Spencer in a in a pram. Yeah. And then some woman moves the pram. Yeah. So he then takes the wrong one. That is not that's not even him being an idiot. Yeah. Someone has done that to him. Normally in sitcoms like this where they get themselves in these situations, it's their own stupidity that does it. Yeah. No. This isn't his fault. Exactly. At he all. got screwed over. He gets so screwed. So yeah, a lady there's a row of prams, obviously, because there's so many mums And they there. look all similar. Uh, a handful of them are bright red, including yeah. Ray's one. He puts Spencer in the red one, and then a lady moves it out of the way to get her own pram out, and then doesn't move it back. Yeah. So then Ray picks up the one that was closest to the spot he was already in, which is about two foot back. Yeah. And the, his actual one has been moved like seven foot the other way. I know. And that's not his fault. He just goes, as we all would, yeah. turn around, oh, that's my one, because that's literally where I just walked away exactly. from. And just leaves. And he accidentally kidnaps a little girl <laughs> and leaves his own son in the park. Exactly. This has now left me. So if I was ever to be a, a father or a parent, uh-huh. I would double check every two seconds. Yeah, every ten seconds. Is that the right kid? Is that the right kid? This is definitely my child, right? There's a really good episode of Malcolm in the Middle where Hal accidentally picks up the wrong kid. Is yeah. it Jamie? So he takes Jamie to the park and then comes back and it's the wrong baby. <laughs> they do that in Family Guy as well when Pete accidentally takes a child, which makes less sense considering Stewie's... Football head. Football heads, yeah. <laughs> considering Stewie's real dad, Hey Arnold. <laughs> yeah. So we go back to Jonathan and he's now awaiting to go on a TV show. Yes. To talk about his new book, which is actually about being a private detective. Yes. So he's finally writing what he knows. The TV show is Dick Cavett. And I looked this up. Dick Cavett has had like kind of talk shows in the past. But when this was out, he didn't have one. So they've kind of created this. So he's a real TV yeah. personality. But I think they've created this show for Bored to Death. Just, just for my retirement. Yeah. Just get uh, a notable TV personality and make up a TV show that yeah. they, can, they can be on. I like how Jonathan's uh, agent refers to... To all herself being like a black widow. Yeah. Which is obviously another kind of noir trope. Exactly. So yeah, there's just a little another little nod there. I've written here we hadn't seen Lewis, but yeah, he's an arsehole who gave Jonathan bad reviews. <laughs> and then he said to talk about his book, The Black Cock of Time. I mean, black Clock of Time. <laughs> Such a dumb joke. And the fact that everyone, all of them fall for it. I just love it later where it's like, um, Cavett's assistant goes to the big black cock of time. It's like, where's the word big in that? <laughs> what I thought about this as well is like, is this another one of those jokes that may not have got past the census? Is it too close to the bone, do you reckon? Is it? I think in America, the word cock, it's it's so British. Yeah, it's that's like... okay because they can say wanker because yeah. they say it on the Simpsons and the word shite. Yeah. They say that on The Simpsons, which is a PG show, but because it's British, it's charming. Yeah. So I think 
Like they said, even though, no, even the word dick is like not really seen as like a major word in America. Yeah. Somehow the word penis is much more explicit. But also, like, this is like an adult show. It's on HBO. So. Yeah, I just, yeah. Yeah, I suppose you're right. It's just... Because around this time, Game of Thrones probably had just started and that just had lots of nudity. What I what I also thought was, it's just, it, it, to me, that joke, that gag, isn't massively in keeping with the the comedy of the rest of the series. No. It's so, it's almost always sunny-like. It's yeah. so on the nose and silly. But they do it. Twice, which is what I respect. Yeah, that's Family Guy, like repeating the joke. Yeah, but they do it twice at separate points, and it's that they could have overdone it with everyone saying it. Yeah, but because they do it twice, it's very just like okay, we've addressed it. So when Ray, Ray, sorry, Jonathan and Lewis have their interaction, I'm sorry, Jonathan saved his life. It was Jonathan's case. He just got himself in the way and made things worse. Yeah. That is Jonathan's story to write. Exactly. That is not Lewis's story. He's such an asshole. Yeah, and he acts so pretentious. He's like, he asked me, my father would we watch the Decavered show every night and then we'd recite it the next morning. Oh, he's such... He's such a cock. I hate him so much. <laughs> he's one of those characters. You know, I introduced my wife to a pro wrestling. She Before that, she was like, why would you watch that? Now she loves it. She doesn't get when a bad guy... He's doing it to get a rise out of you. What and I can, heat? Yes. And I can normally... I love bad guys in wrestling and I like see, you know, this is what they're doing to get a rise. And I understand the character of Lewis is there to get a rise out of you, but I fucking hate him. So you're getting worked. <laughs> He's so swarmy. <laughs> well, considering how badly it goes for him in this episode, yeah. I feel like it's just deserved. Yeah, he kind of... He almost always gets comeuppance at the end of most of the episodes. Like, he gets knocked out. He gets... Yeah, so... so at least I think it's satisfying. Yeah, it, it is satisfying. He's on After Jonathan on the show. Yeah. So, we get Jonathan being called to makeup, And that's where we leave that. And we go back to Ray, who is now back at his place. And he wills the pram in. Doesn't look at it. And says, keep sleeping. Daddy needs a drink. That is bad parenting. <laughs> it's awful parenting. So he gets goes and gets himself a drink, and I think he goes and gets a, a joint as well. Yeah. Gets and drunk he, and high, like, immediately. And he starts using what well, is clearly meant to be his son's finger paints. Yeah. And he, he paints Super Ray with finger paints, which I thought was half adorable, half fucking stupid. But then the parents of the breastfeeding group research Ray, yeah, and they so, find his drawings... And the mum of the actual child gets horrified. So yeah, the mum of the kid who he accidentally abducted finds Super A comics and obviously sees the 80 foot long cock that is like used as a superpower. And yeah, quite quite rightly in her position, yeah. she's like, oh my god, this guy's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> the only person in this who is in any wrong at this point, well apart from him getting stoned and drunk I suppose, is the woman who moved the brand. Exactly. She's a dick. <laughs> We cut back to Jonathan about to go on the show, and there's a child being interviewed right before Jonathan. And as the child oh. like rocks backstage, Jonathan reaches out for a high five, and the kid just leaves him hanging. Did you hear? So obviously this show's a like a literary review show. Did you hear yeah. what the kid's book was called? Oh, it, was about... it was called Splitsies: A Child's Perspective on, on Divorce. This, yeah, that is a horrifying book for a child to have written. <laughs> there is a joke just before that. Actually, we see George with his daughter in his flat in his apartment and she accuses him of being over competitive oh, and they sure. kind of they kind of make it up and she says I love you and he says I love, I love you, you more, more than, he says I love you more than that <laughs> it's like that's very specific you have to be competitive like, yeah, every time every time 
so Jonathan on the show starts to get starts to like stumble over his words and stuff and he isn't doing very yeah, well. Yeah, he trips up on the stage and then he puts on sunglasses to look cool but he's like, we don't wear sunglasses. Yeah, that's why you don't wear it. And then he put, he starts smoking. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I was trying to inhabit like an older guest from like the 70s. He's like, you can't even smoke in your own apartment anymore. You definitely can't smoke here. <laughs> and Lewis is really enjoying Jonathan failing. Like, yeah. He's watching it from the from the makeup chair. Yeah. And he's like, this is delightful. Such... Oh, we've got to mention, like, Dick Cavett has, like, a, a rule which, like, you always must make eye contact with Dick Cavett. Yeah, you can't look at the camera. <laughs> He's the focus, yeah. And at this point, Ray's now smoking a pipe while doing the finger painting before we go back to the TV show. Yeah. This is when they're about to go to break, but before they go to break, Jonathan mentions that he is looking for his real dad. Yeah. And Dick Cavett gets a brainwave. He's like, okay, do you want to stay? And we'll talk to you after the break. And then the, when the... Uh, Presumably, a producer yeah. comes over to him and says, "Okay, what's 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 going on?" He's like, "Oh, the, this dad stuff's gold. We're like, in Oprah territory." Yeah, well, yeah, we're in Oprah territory. We'll just bump the other guy. Yeah. So then Lewis just has a freak out backstage. Yeah, he gets bumped from the thing. He gets bumped from the show, the show that he's watched with his dad, and his dad used to make him recreate. Yeah. His dad sounds like a psychopath. His dad's a psych- we Jonathan says it like his dad's a psychologist. He used to do experiments on him. He <laughs> the shit talks him on TV. We go back to Jonathan and he's talking about his dad and Dick actually allows Jonathan to talk directly down the camera. Yeah, he's like, I know I know this is a robot. May I? He's like, it's unconventional, but so am I, so I'll allow it. Yeah. Yeah, and he starts talking directly down the camera. And this is when Lewis is up in the rafters, he's like, always pulling on the heartstrings. <laughs> Dick Cavett also asks if he has like a detective has like an arch nemesis, like Sherlock has Moriarty. Yeah. He says, well, he was going to be your next guest. Yeah. <laughs> His name's Lewis Green. And then, so Lewis thinks he's pulling the curtain down, but he actually pulls the sandbag and Jonathan um, dives to save Dick Cavett. Yeah, which he doesn't need to do because that sandbag is missing table, both yeah. of them. Yeah. So Jonathan saves, quote unquote, yeah. Dick Cavett's life by being shoved out of the way. And... Lewis is left hanging upside down by his ankle yeah. from the rafters, and obviously the security come in and take him away, and he gets arrested. Yeah, this is when that's where we leave Jonathan and his story, and we go back to Ray with this kidnapped child, <laughs> and then he realizes what's going on. The police are outside the spotlight, with a spotlight on the apartment. So Ray calls, uh, he calls George, yeah, for help. George is incredibly stoned. On his way to uh, help Ray, he thinks he's being tailed by the police, and he gets paranoid. And he throws—he thinks his phone's being tracked, and he throws it in a mailbox. Yeah, <laughs> I've got another here that says Lewis reminds me of a Scooby Doo villain when he's hanging out in the rafters. Yeah. <laughs> my so my favorite thing is when Ray gets released from the cell. He immediately just hugs George, and then mm-hmm. hugs everyone else. Yeah, he hugs George, then Jonathan, and then Leah. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a big kid, isn't he? And I like that as he's um, leaving, Lewis gets dragged in to prison. Yeah. And uh, we find out Lewis makes a friend quite quickly. He he says he'll help right to his parole officer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the end of the episode. That's where it wraps up. Yeah. They realise that Ray is innocent. It wasn't... Uh, he didn't do it on purpose. It, it was actually mistake. his son that he left. Yeah. Uh, we also find out then that the mother of his son now doesn't want him to see him on his own yeah which, which is a bit tragic. his heart <laughs> yeah poor Ray he was getting into the whole being a dad thing as well I know only for one day a week <laughs> yeah one day a week what, That's for, for Ray that's like perfect yeah he gets to be a dad but he doesn't interfere too much with anything else <laughs> and that's yeah that's kind of where we leave that episode so what did you think episode the fourth episode we watched 
I feel, I feel it's really good. Clock, clock of time. I thought it was really good. It was interesting that this was like the only one where it doesn't really have much of a detective story to it. It's just about Jonathan like just living pushing what, his book. Yeah, pushing yeah. his book. Like obviously there's an overarching like detective story about trying to find his dad. Yeah. But that's not really the focus of this episode. You get like the opening of it where he's like still looking. But so it was really just nice to see that. Most episodes do have a case in it. Yeah. There's about I think there's two, maybe three in the whole thing that don't. And yeah. this is one of them, yeah. And we can technically classify the third episode we looked at as one that doesn't have a case in it because he's like he got hired for that. Yeah, it's like a link back to his old case. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's an old case coming to bite him, so there is still a link to a case at yeah. least. Yeah. Thoughts? Bored to death overall. I loved it. I think I'm definitely gonna watch all the other episodes now. It's a nice easy it felt like a nice easy watch, which is why I said about this country, but yeah, it's felt nice and easy. I definitely want to watch more of it and also to go back and get more context to everything that happened. Yeah, well, yeah, I think this is a big one for context. Where we left this country, if anyone listening to this did go back and watch those four episodes that we spoke about, they could not bother going back and watching, still say they enjoyed it. To get the whole experience of Bored to Death, you need to watch the whole thing. Yeah. It is, it's brilliant and... If I was channel surfing and caught one of these, I'd probably sit and watch it, even though I didn't get the whole thing. And then I'd go, you know, I really enjoyed that. I'm going to go find the rest of it and watch it in yeah. order. It's a great show. Really funny. Really well put together. Really well acted. Very well written in the main part. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think it's amazing. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it, Tim. I had a feeling you would. This felt when I when I put this on the list, I was like, that's well up Tim Street. <laughs> I don't know I, what it was about it. I was like, this... I, I'm shocked. I never heard about it before, to be honest. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I would have thought this would have been on your radar. Yeah, absolutely. Like, three actors I love, and then it's like detective stories. Like, yeah, I should have known about it. <laughs> Go on then, Tim. Uh, did you do any extra credit? So, if Bobby can see that, I've pulled up my Kindle. <laughs> because I did, actually. Um, did you buy a book? I, t- I actually <laughs> bought a book. So, I researched Jonathan Ames, and yes, he's an actual author and has written actual books. So my my idea was just to read this for uh, one of the most recent series of books, because there's only two, called the Doll series. Did you read I, the whole book? I've read the first seven chapters. Okay, that's that's pretty good going for extra credit, man. That probably took you longer than watching the shows we've watched. I mean, I mean yeah. actually, no, because it's a very small book, actually, 192 oh, okay. pages. Oh, okay, so, yeah, fair yeah. enough. This is, so I'm now going to read an extract from A Man Named Doll. Okay. And is it is it cringe? It made me go, what the fuck? And I'm not going to give you any context about what he's, about who he's referring to. Okay, go on then. He does have his own bed, which I banish him to every now and then, but that's very rare. And so we sleep together most every night of the year. He starts off with his head resting on the pillow next to me, giving me moony eyes as I read. I always read before going to bed. And then when I'm tired, I put my book down, I bury my face in his neck and inhale his earthly dog smell. I say, this is a dog. I knew this was a dog. Which I love. And then I kiss his neck like he's my wife before I turn off the light. And then he tries to put his tongue in my mouth, (laughs) which I do not allow. But I let him lick the corner of my eye to get some some salty crust or something else tasty. It's a whole ritual we have. And then when the lights go out, he burrows under the sheets and puts his warm body next to mine. And I'm ready to sing like Fred Astaire. Heaven... I'm in heaven. Oh my god! Please give me some context. <laughs> That's just about his dog. <laughs> so is that just the lead character and his dog? Yes. 
Oh my god. It's not like a, a, a human turned dog or something, it's not. No, no, this is actually about his dog. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. It's too much. I get, I, I love animals and I love my pets, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that literally made me go, what the fuck? But I will say I am enjoying this book. Is it good? What's the book called? Come on. A Man Named Doll. A Man Named Doll. So, so far, literally nothing big has happened yet, so I can tell you what so far has been happening, basically. It's a, but it's nicely written. Then. It's nicely written, and apparently it's a, good, it's a really good book. Again, so I'm on chapter seven. That's only 29 pages into the book out of 172. God, like, like four-page chapters or something. Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're well-written. It's very interesting considering... So my reason for reading the book was because I was interested in how he was writing actual like novel, consi- considering like TV writing okay, and yeah. novel writing are completely different mediums. Different skill sets. Completely. Different skill sets. And he's quite successful. Like one of his other books, um, You Were Never Really Here, got adapted into a movie. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's very interesting just seeing how he writes... It's very different. I would not believe they were the same person if you told me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, considering the writing of um, Born to Death is very naturalistic, this is like very descriptive and everything. I think that's the difference between the mediums because you're showing, not, not yeah, telling, you just have to tell everything. You use the camera for description. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's very different and it's le- this is less humorous. Well, I'm glad I introduced you to a TV show that's led you to an, an author that you're enjoying. That's, yeah. a, that's a leap. And a... Yeah, apart, apart from that, that one passage... <laughs> I think that passage is going to haunt my dreams if I'm honest yeah honestly (laughs) same one of my cats is going to jump on the bed and go get off get off (laughs) he starts licking you he's like no get away from me creepy cat (laughs) right enough of that Tim what are we doing in two weeks (laughs) so in two weeks we are going to combine my love of music and horror as we take a look at a band named Ice Nine Kills and we're going to be taking a look at their two most recent albums, The Silver Screams and The Silver Screams to Welcome to Horrorwood. So all of these movies, all of these songs are based on horror movies. Okay. So my challenge for you, Bobby, as someone who does not watch horror movies. This is, this is a fact about me. I want you, without researching obviously, to guess what movie each song is about. Oh, do you want me to tell you my score now? Zero. My score is zero. <laughs> well, we'll find that out in two weeks. All right, cool. Well, I look forward to uh, listening to some Ice Nine Kills. So that's uh, that's all from us. Thanks for listening to Cult Classic Society. I'm Bobby Davis. I'm Tim Martini. You can follow us on Instagram at CC Society Pod, and you can email us if you're so inclined at ccsocietypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.